Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is the 2011 Christmas special, The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base. Well, it looked like that. This episode episode is written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Farron Blackburn. It originally aired on the 25th of December, 2011, and was watched by 8.9 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Hello, this is Auburn. Hi, this is Brian. Hi, this is Kelsey. Hello, this is Frank. Hey, this is Josh. An alien spaceship is about to fire upon the Earth in 1938 because, well, why not? The Doctor sabotages the spaceship and as it explodes, sees a spacesuit flying into space. He catches up to the spacesuit and puts it on. But now he cannot see because the helmet is on backwards. I'm out. Uh-huh. Well, it certainly it certainly does drop you right into the middle of the story and then right out of it again. This opening is definitely saying we're just here for fun. Don't think too hard about this episode. I mean, already we had the Star Wars opening reference. We had the Cylon voice as the ship's exploding and the doctor's screaming in space and we can hear him and he's taking forever to get onto that space suit and get that onto him. So it's just, this is one of those silly ones you don't, you shouldn't take too seriously. Yeah, I, I have a hard time getting through this episode just because I I fall asleep. I don't know why, it's just this episode. But after, after watching it, I did get through it uh, a second time and it made more sense for the opening. I think because all of the other CG that they were doing with like the the one harvester ship and a couple of the other things. Like I felt like a company got a chance to do some CG for them. And they're like, hey, while you're at it, do this cool spaceship. Cause there's not a lot of doctor there on the exterior, but it is really cool. All the turrets and everything, but it, it's kind of out of the Doctor Who like universe that I've seen so far. Yeah. What I liked about this the opener was that it was a window into um, the adventures that we see off, that we hear about off screen. Like it was the end, you know, they had the, the Doctor's theme playing, but it was a different version of it. Like he just had an adventure. Um, and, and I always like those references to that stuff. And obviously, well, uh, probably didn't all go well, but because it, it wasn't an, a story that warranted companions and for us to see it, but it really, it, it opens up that world to the idea of things happen uh, outside of what we actually see. And it kind of opens up the scope of it. That's what I liked. Yeah, it was funny that the last time, the la- the previous episode before this one, the doctor left being like, all right, I'm gonna let the universe think I'm dead for a little bit. And then now he's like blowing up a spaceship. And so this is the the doctor's idea of keeping a low profile, <laughs> right. which, is, <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, we never learned why the ship's there or what's going on. There is a prequel to this. It's only, what, a minute and a half, Eugene? Yep, I was going to mention that later. (laughs) I watched it with you. Hello. I know, but he usually talks about it. It's twice now you've asked Eugene rather than your husband. Do you want to bring it up now or do you want to bring it up at the end? (laughs) No, let's talk about it because I think it makes an impact on the overall story and would not have this so lighthearted 
Okay, I'm going to go. If they, they added this onto that opening, that minute, I think it would have been a better thing. Can you describe it briefly yeah, so, for us? Yeah, yes, I will. <laughs> the 11th Doctor is on the spaceship that we see, and he's holding a red button, which, if he lets go, will cause the spaceship to explode. While he's holding the button, he phones the TARDIS, and he wants to talk to Amy, but she's not there because of the events that happened um, in the last season that we just finished. And he's asking her to rescue him. And although he doesn't have his coordinates and Amy can't fly the TARDIS per se, it, it seems to me like he's he's reminding us of why he's lonely and why they're not there anymore. And then on this phone message, the doctor wishes Amy a Merry Christmas. And, and then he lets go of the button. And then we kind of uh, go into the beginning of this episode. But to me, they kind of like, they cross over the timelines, like what happens in the prequel and what happens in this opening. There's some, it's not like specifically, here's an edit, here's one, here's the other. It's kind of like they go together. Right. And I think just his mentality of leaving a message for Amy, you don't realize he's just calling the TARDIS at the beginning. It's yeah. like he's trying to contact Amy, but then he knows that she's not on board the TARDIS and she's never going to get this message. But it's just his mentality of he could not break away from these companions at this time, which is very different than and a lot of the other doctors who just dropped them off somewhere. I thought it was a very well done scene, but I'm glad it's not on the episode because the episode is very standalone. And bringing in Amy is just kind of like brings in a emotion to it that I think would be kind of a cheat at that point. That being said, I like the way they brought them in at the end because what happens but, in the end but, is a callback to something that happens during the episode. Well, yeah, but I like the surprise of it. Yeah. Rather than it being a callback, I like it being out of the blue. Because you kind of forget all about Amy and Rory. Well, also, too, I felt this is one of those episodes that I like that introduces a uh, hypothetical new new companion. Yes. Sally Sparrow, you know, whoever, whoever it may be in some other episodes that I... Yeah. Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue, yeah. Um, was that character's name? Remember? Astra. No? Oh, uh, at, at Astra. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I always like those where you can kind of see like, oh, this person would be a really good companion, but that's the only time we ever see them. Oh, at least, uh, well, speaking of the the pawns, at least on the version that Kelsey and I watched via HBO Max, this one did not have the Amy intro oh, you're right. that, that we've been seeing on the rest of the season. So that that was nice to, yeah, to get away from that, especially with this story where you don't see Amy until the very end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I feel like the prequel was originally in this episode and then they cut it out because of what we've just discussed. Like Amy isn't needed, like you don't want that. Right. And they went for going for the uh, the emotional impact at the very end. So I, that's why I think the the prequel and the opening, their timelines, the you know, the linear timeline, they converge. And I think I'm in the minority on this, but I actually like this opening. It, it brings me- Oh, I me... like the opening too. Good, <laughs> because the special effects look great. I think this is, like Josh mentioned, an adventure that we don't see. So I like that we see some of this adventure instead of just a line, and then we go on to our actual episode. And the spacesuit stuff, yes, it doesn't like work because that's something that even as a kid in watching Superman 4, I was like, they're in space. They can't breathe. What's going on here with Meryl? Is it Meryl Hemingway <laughs> in space? I'm like, this is not happening. But it's all for the plot. So to get him fumbling, putting on a spacesuit, I get. Yeah. I, I do think that it's, I think what I don't like is, you know, it, it's, you shouldn't be watching this episode going, well, the old open was way more exciting than this. You know, it, they should, it should be like, wow. You know, at the end it should be like, oh, wow, I forgot about that opening. It had nothing to do with the show. And this one, you're just like, can you go back to the opening? 
But to me, the promise of a farce and a humorous episode, something along the lines of Love and Monsters, to me, it didn't deliver what it promised and went, again, for me, to a serious tone or serious theme of what was happening overall in the story that I think didn't work with the opening. I think uh, me and Frank are right on track where we've always been. <laughs> <laughs> but we do agree that it looked great. Yeah, it, it looked great. Well. Elmira Gulch, I mean Madge Arwell, finds the injured and still helmeted doctor and helps him search for a particular police phone box. The doctor is in her debt and tells her to make a wish if she ever needs him. She returns home to find her husband, Reg, and her children, Lily and Cyril. Three years later, it's now World War II, and a telegram arrives saying her husband has been lost over the English Channel. The children are sure their father will be home for Christmas, and Madge can do nothing except wish for help. Escaping London because of the Blitz, Madge takes them to an uncle's empty country estate. She wants them to have a nice Christmas before telling them of their father's death. And that's the sad part. I like all of this. <laughs> I enjoy the, the payoff that we get to the doctor uh, getting the spacesuit, even though you can see his eye holes in the back. Yeah, <laughs> that could that's have fine. just been ventilation. Yeah, that could in have been ventilation. Suit. In a yeah. space suit. <laughs> well, but, once they're on planet, it goes on the inside. And <laughs> oh, yeah, in. save your oxygen reserve. But I, I enjoy that gag. It's funny, and it brings us into like who Madge is, and I l enjoy how she helps a stranger. It's kind of like that good deed you do during Christmas time. It, it gave me all the warm feelings that I think it was supposed to. And then the gag of, here's the police box. Oh, it's the real police box. Really <laughs> I thought that was just because, you know, at, during this time, police boxes were a thing. So that was awesome to see that. And then um, when Reg comes into the house after Madge has left telling Cyril what she's doing, very detailed, he just goes out. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> so good. I really liked how it. Did, you're right. It, it really painted a picture of who she was. Uh, you know, the fact that she was saying that when she crashes into things, it's the it's the thing's fault, not her. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of just showed you. So when when the rest of the episode transpired, you weren't feeling like, how could this 1940s housewife deal with all this stuff? Um, I also like just the kind of throwaway uh, science fiction line of that the suit was repairing his body. Yes. Uh, like you know, yeah. the first thing I thought of was the opening of season 13, uh, not, not the season 13, the 13th Doctor, <laughs> where she falls to Earth, uh, and then you know the 10th Doctor falling from the sky through the glass. You know, so we always kind of joke about the fact like okay how indestructible are time lords so the fact that it, he wasn't just didn't just have an owie um yeah. and, and they gave some sci-fi cool geeky stuff to to that I, I really appreciated that i got a kick out of it so that's where the 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 logic to, for me kind of repairs itself in pun intended because when the doctor is in an atmosphereless place going to earth he's getting into the suit but it's it's damaging him mm -hmm. so that's why yeah. okay they kind of fixed that for me it's still a stretch but like like yes. we were all saying though this episode is very cartoony and uh, a lot a lot of the things that we you could scoff at on this episode if it literally was animated no one would blink twice and um, Matt Smith's physical acting is, I mean, it's great oh, yeah. because that could have been anybody. We don't see his face. Are you sure it was him? No, it was him because yeah. there's a there's a behind the scenes photo where he has helmet hair. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and they, it, it didn't need to be the doctor or, you know, Matt Smith, but it's it perfect shows for, for yeah. him to do, though, like yeah. something like that. 
I think um, speaking to like the tone shift, you know, this is still that like more magical, like the the writing is on point. The chemistry is there, even though you don't see the doctor's face, like you still feel this connection between the characters. We get all these jokes of like running into the lamp pole and, you know, her uh, picking the TARDIS lock and the doctor thinking his 900 years of time travel weren't as safe as he thought they were. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this is all in in London, and I, I understand that they're also saying something about war that's coming. So, of course, it's going to be darker. But I don't feel like the magic world we get to is as fun and lighthearted as this is. And I think that's part of, like, the problem, you know, at least that I have with the episode is that yeah, we, we start off fun and all this energy, but then we don't get as much enough of that to help with the, the meat of the, the drama that comes later. Um, but the, the references I remember seeing just by watching it was the Wizard of Oz being Elmira Gult as she's riding on her bicycle, you know, and then also the doctor seemed a lot like the Scarecrow in the way that he's trying to walk. It's just sort of because I had Elmira Gult in my head, I saw that. And the crater where he crashed into reminded me of Superman, where they found the baby in the original movie and all that. <laughs> so it's just all of a sudden this whole thing just to have references to so many other ideas that triggered in my brain, which I don't know, I doubt if they were all intentional. I think the Star Wars one definitely it was intentional. Oh, what sure. was the Star Wars one? Just right. the opening Open, shot. The opening shot of the alien craft coming up over oh, the top getting, part of the screen. And getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, okay. But Frank, the spacesuit also kind of looks like the Tin Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as even this, the, the only thing that actually bothered me in this episode overall was the, and it's it's very, it's a very Josh thing that like, when she says, oh, I was just helping a spaceman or something like that, like in the 40s, would that have even been a term? You know, there's no astronaut outfit. They, they knew space maybe, but like the, the fact that he was, I, I feel like she was, it, it seemed too familiar just um, in its, even in its too vernacular. Colloquial. Too colloquial. Like science fiction, right? Like well, science. they would not in that regard. I mean, there's been Jules Verne since you know the turn of the That's century and stuff like that. that. But um, it never. I don't think there's been much in the '40s that would have looked like that. So it would almost have been like she would have said something, a man in an iron suit or something like, like that. Or but when what? was um Flash when was Gordon. like the Twilight Zone and 50s. all those and also um 60s. But I mean, they had a lot of science fiction enough. I think. Yeah, I could be wrong. Maybe, all this. maybe there were, you know, like I said, H.G. Wells and different books and illustrations that could very well be. I just, yeah. it, it just took me out of the moment for a moment because I'm a nerd. The first Talk use of Spaceman was in a 1930s short story. Well, there you go. I'm wrong. Just the chairman. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another good thing that I like about this uh, particular portion we're in now is when the doctor, after Madge brings him to the police box, which he thinks is the TARDIS, he says, thank you for taking care of me. You didn't have to, you know, you've been very kind. And then Madge replies with, don't be silly. It's Christmas Eve. No one should be alone at Christmas. And it just reminds me of all these other Christmas specials that we've gone through and different doctors. So I don't know. Again, it gives me the warm feelings that I think it's intended to. And then uh, when Ridge is reading the paper about the war after Madge comes back, she says, if you keep reading it, it'll come true. So that'll play in later. And then when the children make the wish from the, the wishbone, I imagine that Madge stole their wish, <laughs> like they're wishing for toys or some like a hula hoop you know and if that's the time period we're in and she ste she steals that wish and it goes up 
To me, I'm thinking it goes up to the psychic paper and that's what brings the doctor back. And I never thought about this before, but I think because of the time I've been spending with my parents, it made me think of all the times that they were cooking like a turkey or a chicken and they gave me and my brothers the wishbone. We made a wish and it never came true. It made me think that they took the wish. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was like, they don't need toys, they just need to be happy. I enjoy that because as a kid, I would be wishing for crap that it's going to be like thrown away <laughs> in a couple of months where my parents would be wishing for, in this case, something bigger, something better. I'm, you know, I'm glad they didn't show us psychic paper or just a psychic connection thing. You know, it's a Christmas episode. It's just a wish and it worked. I thought that was nice. I thought that was great. Yeah. And that's what I like about it, that I can project what I'm thinking onto that. Yeah. They leave it open. Yeah. I just, just a little personal information with, because my sister and I would also get the wishbone, but I would always do emotional wishes instead of for stuff. When they showed the telegram, that got me because my parents are older and telegrams always meant bad news. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, especially during the war. Especially, yes. You knew somebody's, when you see the person coming from the telegram, you don't want them to come to you. I mean, it was, everybody knew that. And so seeing the telegram, that got me. They even referenced that at the end when the daughter sees the telegram. Yeah. And speaking of Lily, I mean, she's got an attitude, don't she? It's like, oh, astronomy. Oh, stop making up words. Like, she's teasing her little brother, but she has this attitude at the beginning part of this, which I didn't think she was going to be likable. But then at the end, you know, middle way through, then she changes. But even she's telling her mom not to be so mean or don't be so angry or don't yell so much and all this. Her just attitude. I don't know why they put that in. I, I liked all the domestic parts of this episode. I really like the introduction. You know, when we see the family, like you said, the astronomy don't make up words. Yeah. And you get that, you know, kid with the Coke bottle glasses that's so stereotypical of like Christmas like an innocent story yeah yes. christmas story and yeah um but but i thought that she was a good foil for that kind of innocence and um you know okay. you kind of needed the kids for the the c.s lewisness that they were trying to go for um she's susan okay yeah <laughs> like which yeah. in the wardrobe yeah <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah it oh, was just that one i don't know and and especially in this episode and i think now that you said uh wizard of oz i've been thinking about it more you know this first part before the war is so vibrant there's like golds and lots of colors and then after the war um and she loses her husband it's all these like blues and grays yeah. for the rest of the episode i think that's also why like i i have a a little bit more of an aversion to the episode as a whole because it's not as like colorful and bright as we go but but now that you've mentioned the the wizard of oz like uh connection it, it almost makes more sense like you know they go through this darker colorless period but it's kind of reversed from wizard of oz um right. and then at the end you get amy again and a nice bright orange glow inside the house and everything's got life again yeah before we move on real quick, I just, when they do the, when they do the three years later uh, text, mm -hmm. that's when we see Reg flying the plane, right? And we have the, yeah, he's like, uh, it'll tell him we're going home for Christmas. I'm just wondering that, that plane manufacturers just put a frame in the cockpit <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> um, it just seems like every pilot has that one perfect picture that they need. Just everybody. Or inside just, their helmet, there should be a little yeah, sleeve. Yeah, just, you know, let them have the picture and that their picture can, you know, not, not fall over or get knocked over or, you know wet. <laughs> wet yeah you know just put a picture frame seal it right up to the console and you know it, we would be happy they were rationing <laughs> <laughs>
At the estate, the caretaker turns out to be the doctor. He shows them rooms that he's repaired to make them <laughs> more fun, including his masterpiece, the ultimate children's bedroom with hammocks. I know, all too much for a grieving Madge. And she and the doctor have a heart to hearts about Christmas forever being associated with their father's death. Downstairs, the children have found the large Christmas tree with a huge present beside it. That night, Lily sneaks up to the attic to talk to the doctor, and Cyril sneaks down to the present to take a peek. The doctor is working on the TARDIS, or his wardrobe, as he calls it, realizing that something is amiss. He asks Lily if Cyril is still in bed. When they go to check on him, he is not there. Teddy and duvet. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that old classic. I, I know I know they need it for the story and the plot device and all that stuff like that, but I think he, he overly accepts the fact that Cyril's in bed and the sisters well I, at first I didn't I didn't realize she was wrong. I thought she was lying. He very easily accepted that nothing could possibly go wrong in this moment as long you, you know, but you don't have if you don't have that then you don't have the story, so I get it. But see, to me, that's begin. That this is the beginning of the. That scene is a really sweet scene, but it's the beginning of the problems with the whole episode. She walks in and sees a police box in an attic. He's fiddling with all this electric equipment, making sparks and stuff. She doesn't really have that much of an emotional response to this weirdness, and he doesn't have an emotional response to her seeing all this. It again, it's just kind of like we have to get them together and talk. They get together and talk without any. There's no conflict. There's no emotion what are you doing in here kind of a thing it's all just very straightforward you know matt smith and the the girl really really good um you know it, it's a sweet and gentle scene that doesn't it isn't compelling for me well i will say I, I like this episode but one thing i like about it is it's it's basically this episode's purpose is an emotional story uh adorned with a bunch of science fiction stuff those yes those are, it's adorned with those things but those are still things it's almost like the the emotional uh uh you know of, of the characters was so important to Moffat or whoever was in charge of this episode that the other things were just adornments and they didn't carry certain weight. But you see, I don't see I don't see the, the children as having much of an emotional arc in the whole episode. They're just fine, 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 acting fine, acting fine, acting fine. Well, uh, yeah, but until they find out the end. Yeah, the emotional to me, the emotional through line of the story is the mother, the yeah. mother, and then um, the doctor's kind of realization of family and, and himself. Um, and that, I mean, I got choked up a lot during this. I I, I was actually quite engaged watching this, but. To your point, the rest of it was just kind of ideas. Oh, it'd be cool if this happened. Oh, we'll do this. Yeah. Oh, we'll do that. And 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 they they had a lot of you know J.J. Abrams mystery box moments where you're like, oh, what's that going to be? Oh, oh, it's nothing. Oh, but wait, what's that? Oh, it's nothing. Oh, but wait, what's that? And so see, and that's time, not a good show. That's bad writing. No, but I was engaged with the uh, emotional story of it. Again, when you start watching these shows numerous times, my expectations float away. So I'm just sitting there letting whatever hit me, hit me. Um, so even though I, I, I don't disagree with you at all, because I remember thinking those things, but this time around, I didn't really care. 
Yeah, I think you bring up a good point about whose emotional journey or who's having the emotional journey in this episode. And it's definitely Madge. And then at the end, the doctor, you know, we learned that the doctor was also needed to learn something in this episode. Whereas like at the beginning, you think it's the kids, right? But it's Madge who's having the, who's really struggling in this episode with how do I tell my kids? How do I make this a good Christmas for them? When do I tell my kids? And I like that moment after she yells at them and then the kids leave and she shares with the doctor. I don't know why I keep yelling at them. you know, the doctor does that really great human connection with her and it was like well it's because you know how sad they're going to be later and it's it was also in that moment where um you you almost like you see how like matt smith almost could be a companionless doctor because he's really good at making human connections with people on the adventures that he goes on um but yeah i just what that's like just that scene of showing the showing the house showing all this cool stuff and then that moment that the doctor has with Madge is like I think is the best scene out of this entire episode it is and I also understand Brian where you're coming from but from the beginning I thought it was going to be a light-hearted episode that there wasn't going to be a big bad there wasn't going to be anything major to come over or to get over you know just from the premise of it so I thought okay this is going to be one yes the father died that's sad but here is how he's trying to make up for it is what I thought and that's what up to this point the premise seems to be how he's going to make a Christmas when you just lost a love one, how are you going to try and make that better? How are you going to deal with that? So that's what I thought it was. And I think Matt Smith does a good job alone. He doesn't need a companion on this one. But I wasn't looking forward to anything more than that. So at this point, I'm fine with what's going on. I liked it. I love the Doctor in this episode. Oh, the Doctor is so f***ing good. Matt Smith just nails everything. Which is another why I'm disappointed going, I wish there was a plot to go with it. Um, But he's, I mean, I was actually sitting there going, I don't don't think Tennant could have pulled this off. He would have, but like Matt Smith did a 10 and Tenet would have done a nine and a half. And I think that's the first time I ever thought that with Matt Smith. I mean, it was just like, that is the perfect doctor. Loved it, absolutely loved it. There's a lot in this episode. I love that scene where he says, you just don't want them to be sad later. It's great. Now he was so good, so good. I mean, I totally flipped around. I mean, I was actually sitting there going, this moment is better than Tenet. Yeah. I don't know if it was since The Lodger or, or maybe a little before that, going off what you're saying, thinking back, Tennant, you know, and, and Eccleston, they were great at playing the Doctor and they wrote and, and they wrote episodes for the Doctor and they played them great. It, it seems like when Matt Smith hit his stride, they started writing for Matt Smith. Like yes. it was basically, yeah. it, it kind of turned a little bit like Eccleston and Tennant were great at playing the Doctor, but now it's almost like they started to write the Doctor as Matt Smith. Yes. And I think that's why he's so of himself you know like this episode you're right it's very light on a lot of things but he makes it work it's it's it plop anybody else into this it's not the same it's not good but I can put, and I mean, I'm not disparaging any of them at all. I just, no, I'm no, just, no. I'm I just know. looking just... at the different, as you said that, it just kind of occurred to me, like everything revolves around him with Matt Smith in, in these type episodes, whereas the, all the other doctors, the doctors are dealing with the world as opposed to the world dealing with him or her. Yeah. And I feel like it's a lot of that is attributed to Matt Smith. I'd like to mention that the blue lights are back. 
<laughs> Matt Smith is tinkering. <laughs> like, there they are. And I, I know I mentioned this in our Christmas recommendation episodes, but the beginning when they show up at the estate reminds me of bed knobs and broomsticks, because that's something I grew up with more than Narnia. Right. And then uh, the miniaturized model of the house that he, it's in the, the bedroom. The doctor mentions it's not to scale, and then it reminds me of Dr. Brown in Back to the Future when he builds that diorama. <laughs> that's right, right, it's right. not to scale. Forgive me for not painting it or making it to scale. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's okay, Doc. And also, there was a couple of things about that kid's room I wanted to point out. The, well, the first one is, have you ever tried to sleep in a hammock? They're I really uncomfortable. It. We have a friend that that's all he sleeps in, so it works for some people. Alburn's old roommate. Yeah. Mm. I loved when he's describing everything that's in the room, and I love how he says, and there's dolls with comical expressions. <laughs> you know? They're not terrifying. And then they cut to several. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they're like, what are you? <laughs> what? And that there's a painting of Pogo on the wall. <laughs> right, Pogo? yeah, from the Umbrella Academy. It. There it is. <laughs> I got two. I was wondering about that too, if that was a reference to the comic or anything. The Umbrella Academy has a talking ape character with a cane. You know, of course, this came out first, but last night watching this, it was like, Frank, there's Pogo. <laughs> the comic book came out before this though. Oh, did it? Wow. And by the way, that really is a Christmas tree that will kill all of them. Spinning like, I mean, this, like, this one's made to spin. It's not surprising that it's, been, so it's like, oh yeah, that's going to kill you. That's just rough. Yeah, the the nickel tour throughout the house and all of the interesting things that the doctor repaired. I I like the funness of it. it. It felt out of place to me. But then I was thinking, how are British families watching these Christmas specials? And maybe you know they're probably definitely not watching it like we are as podcasters. Um, and I doubt that any of you would know. But is it like the type of thing that you put on as you're having like Christmas festivities at your place? And like it's just on and people are like it's just part of christmas traditions for because, you mean like because doctor family? who is such a an institution over there right and this is yeah. airing on christmas day like do you yeah. know what time in the day it airs is it, it like it's in the it's in the evening so okay. i would imagine that people like would be gathered dinner? or during dinner I mean, only time we've ever heard people talk about it because they do talk about it in commentaries and in the books and stuff is from extreme doctor who fans but those people do say it's a Christmas tradition. You eat, you sit down, you watch Doctor Who, and some. There are other shows. I think Coronation Street's one of them that always have Christmas specials as well. So it's like you sit down and watch these Christmas specials. One more line: the Witch in the Wardrobe reference in the beginning when they say we're going to go to Uncle Digby's house. It sounds a lot like Uncle Diggory, yeah, uh, Professor Kirk's first name from the the books. I also like the little line where it's like, he's in a home. <laughs> he's not here, he's he's in a home, he's away. They're like, uh, it's the ghost of Uncle Digby. Mm. He's still alive. <laughs> they did have some good writing and some good one-liners on this. I really like the wordplay of caretaker and doctor. I really enjoyed that. And it reminds me of, I think, Frank, the point that you always bring up when, when, he, he, when the doctor says something that means two things. Right. Although this is the same thing, I just, I like that wordplay. Um, speaking of, well, I guess maybe it's not wordplay, but there's something earlier too where he he tells him to go up the steps, and he's like, "Ugh, these are broken." Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to walk. Walk <laughs> it reminds me of a uh, a Mitch Hedberg joke where he goes, right. "Every time escalators are broken, they say sorry out of service, but they should say sorry temporarily stairs." Yeah. <laughs> 
Cyril opens the present, which leads him through a gateway to a snow-covered forest. He finds a lamppost and a fawn named Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> well, again, that's what it looks like. Cyril picks up a silver ball from one of the trees, and it grows bigger and finally cracks like an egg. He runs back through the open box to safety. Going back into the forest with a flashlight, he follows a set of footprints that lead from the silver eggshell to deeper into the forest. The doctor and Lily find the opened present, pass through the gateway, and follow the footprints in the hopes of finding Cyril. He runs back through the open box to safety. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Go. I gotta say that forest set looks amazing. I love that forest set. And I love that the box was not on the ground. That yes, that was so cool. That was so cool. Great bit. And I kept yeah. looking, I noticed one small little thing in the compositing, but I was really looking for any mistakes and I didn't see any. It's not there. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the box but it really was... just adds to, it's just, this is someplace completely different that the grounds don't even light up. I love that. I love it's just a little thing and it probably cost a lot more money to do an effect there instead of just having an open box on set. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Cuz it made, well it made it look more fantastical. Yeah. I I like the little twist that this was the doctor's Christmas present is to like tour this 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 land that I guess is a Christmas land or yeah, well, he even says he really says no, it's just well. it's just snowy and forest forest Christmas like and, and and he yes and nothing bad ever happens. Yeah. He says at one point, uh, you know, but this is such and such a plane. Nothing ever bad happens here. So, uh, like, again, it's sort of like the, the spacesuit's repairing my body. Like, I like those little touches that, like, explain. Like, why wouldn't he have known that? Why wouldn't he have done that? Because, like, when we see all that. Just like the sure. girl who waited. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah, he has to right. start checking the Yelp before going. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the section, too, where she talks about the, the trees and uh, they look like Christmas ornaments. And my favorite line in the whole episode, possibly ever in television, was, um, um, oh, God. <laughs> I loved it that much. Um, it's, a, it's a big universe. Everything happens somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, that, that was a great line. I thought they had some nice banter between the two, because they did show, you know, Lily having that snarky little attitude, which was fun. It just sort of seemed a little bit too harsh, but it was fun. And have you met a teenage girl, preteen, adolescent girl? Anyway, <laughs> we're the worst. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not touching that one at all. The only, only for the only teenage girl Frank thinks of is Dorothy Gale. There's no place like home. <laughs> Very sweet. Judy Garland. Well, no, no, I, no. I, I, I would maybe say Dorothy Gale over Julie Garland. <laughs> Anyway, anyway. Um, I thought their banter is really good when she's talking about where are we, what's going on, and he's just giving it back to her, which was really fun. She goes, so it's some kind of fairyland? And him just looking at her going, how old are you? What's wrong with you? Fairyland looks so different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that little twist on it. Cyril is very much the youngest of his family when they're looking at the present, because he looks at the tag and says, it's for me. And it's up to the sister to say, it's for all of us. And then he says, but I get to open it. I'm the youngest. <laughs> no more, no more truer youngest child lines have ever been spoken. I do like how the doctor gets worried with Lily. Like that was a really like nice kind of setting up what this world is going to be. Like uh, the trees, like how do you know if it's the wind or the trees talking? And like there's no, he checks his finger, there's no wind. I always like that when the doctor gets worried about something, like, you know, it doesn't spell out like, oh, this is a problem, but we know that it's going to be a problem. And I, I like that because it's, it's not expository, like ex like telling us directly, like, oh, something's wrong here. It shows us that something is happening. And 
and that's always like a great way to to get into the story that's coming i wish it was a little more more ominous actually that's another reference to uh, narnia is that the trees can talk in that those books how'd you like it if someone picked your apples (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna continue to make yes i'm gonna keep doing that for the rest of the episode i'll have to chop those out Okay. <laughs> oh, I get it. I don't think I've ever been more scared as a kid when the, and I think it's in the fifth book, the witch breaks into London and she's riding around London. I don't think I've ever been more scared. Cyril enters a tower made of trees and discovers a large wooden statue of a king sitting on a throne. Heading up a spiral staircase naturally, he finds a wooden (laughs) queen statue holding a golden crown over another throne. The doctor and Lily also find the tower and climb the staircase. At the top, the doctor tries to sonic the wood, but it doesn't open. Disguised wood is still wood. (laughs) Out of a window, Lily sees stars rising from the trees, which the doctor identifies as their life force. On its own, the door opens. Inside, the wooden queen places the glowing golden crown onto Cyril's head. Below, the wooden king rises from the throne and climbs the staircase. You notice the knocker on the door? No. Yes. Aslan. It's a lion. lion. It's a lion. lion? Yeah. Yeah. The only moment that really broke the vibe for me, it was a little too much, was when the doctor looks into the ornament and sees the wooden king's face. Because up until then, it's all this mysterious, what's going on? What are we What are we seeing? It's all kind of vague. And oh, you, right. you, you kind of put your own scary thought in there. And then you see a nutcracker in there. And then he and he looks, and out of, con- like in context, it, it is scary, but out of context, when you haven't even seen the other thing yet, it just was like, what? Yeah, that was a weird choice. I felt it was the a reveal. Choice. The reveal of the statue would have been better than a reflection. I I think, um, oh, I don't think it was a reflection. I think he was looking inside the ball and that was... Yeah, but I mean, the way it's shot, it's like a reflection. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to say, Josh, the other thing with the the looking into it and seeing the large face is that already early in the episode, it hatched as something small. Like that was the whole point is that it grew big. Yeah. So is the doctor seeing what's in there or is he having some sort of psychic vision? I mean, not everything has to make sense, but that's just part of the dissonance of that moment. In hindsight, I take it as it's not that that wooden statue is an older thing. That's just what it looks like. And whether it's small or large, it looks like that, which should have been a little teeny one in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like how are they ever gonna know that that came out of the egg? Well, he's been, you know, then they explain it. I was like, I think we need to see that face in the egg. Right, you know, they keep cutting back and forth between the scenes and this is where they're talking about the safest planet and nothing dangerous happens here. And you hear the big thud and everything shakes around it. And there's this great shot of the back of the doctor and Lily and they just hold hands, you know? And it's just such a touching thing. And it thinks of Heather going, no, Matt Smith is really good with children. He plays really well and they had that chemistry. I, I also like they had a really good callback here um well how can how can trees talk or be intelligent and he's like well the forest of Cheem, she fancied me <laughs> i, I really... didn't even hear that yeah and it next time you watch listen for it because it's just again it's matt smith just delivers it's oh she fancied me is that um, uh jade 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 jade, jade. 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 Yeah. jade. and you know it's it's eccles yeah it's eccleston and 
But but it's also one of those references that make total sense. It's very organic. It's not it's not what happens a lot later on in the Moffat era, where you get these callbacks like that stand out. And if you don't yeah. know them, you know they're a callback. But it's kind of irritating right. that you don't get them. This one, it's just organic. It's just a quick line, and it just works. Didn't even notice it, so it doesn't stand out as what are you talking about? I caught it, but I didn't catch that it was a reference. He said it so fast, it just kind of like blew blew by me. Plus his delivery is great. He's kind of remembering it with like joy. It's like, oh, she fancied me. And And then I got her killed. Yeah. Yeah. She sacrificed herself. But, you know, like I I agree with Brian, this one I liked. It's very different than the Brigadier in the other episode because that one has so much more weight to what he said that if you didn't know, it seems like you're missing something even more. This one was, for those of us who know, it's great. For those who don't, didn't make any real difference in the story. I like the look of these giant wood creatures. They're kind of cool looking. He looks like a typical king, like a cliched king. Right. But to me, I also thought of Santa Claus, like a large man with a long beard. I didn't get Santa. I'm just saying I did. No, I know. know. (laughs) I think it's all, you know, I think it's all intertwined. I I think this takes Christmas visuals and makes it ominous a lot better than the uh, the Tenant's first special. (laughs) More than the Christmas Invasion, which felt like a, a cheesy, you know, bad guy, where this actually feels like creepy. I'm wondering if the king and queen, those type of beings, did they walk over and create the tower? Did they walk, plant themselves, and then merge into the tower and grow that way? Well, the king just came about. Right. But I mean, he said that the trees made this tower, which looks like stone. It's like, how did they do that? And since they're making more of the silver balls, they didn't need just Santa and Mrs. Claus. I, I get the feeling this was just happening, that these you know, these people came into this area like this. It was probably happening all over the planet. And this is where it manifested, the destiny of it manifested because that's where the people were. But the tree people said that it was a prophecy. They were expecting it. Well, that doesn't negate my thinking. Whatever. I mean, it's just basically whether it was done localized and they did it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. Or if you build a whole bunch of them, chances are he'll come to one of them. This is the start of the prophecy. We now should do this. It just grew in that spot from... Okay. Yeah. Unless what I was thinking, it grew, there were many of them that grew over the planet, and this is the one he stumbled into. That line of, they grew this tower, it reminded me of the comic book graphic novel saga where they grow spaceships Mm -hmm. and they're very organic so i was like that's cool yes i'm glad that uh they're continuing to poke fun at the sonic screwdriver not being able to deal with wood yeah and that even this again with this tower like it is all wood even though it looks like glass or stone or metal so and and it's fun that you know like before they poked fun at the door i think with it like he wasn't able to open a door and this one the all the whole like all of his opposition is now wood so that's fun that they take that out of play that he can just sonic his way through it and especially um, using the beginning because he's using the sonic so much at, yes that's in the, you know so it's just sort of from the spaceship at the beginning of all high tech and and all that going to something that's just natural just with the wood it actually reminds me of a lot of the classic who where they just had one set for almost the whole episode and all of this drama goes up and down and up and down and there's all this plot reveal and there's danger now there's not danger oh we just got over that danger and they haven't left the room like like a play and a lot of the older classic 
who was like that. So I didn't realize it till just now, but I was I wanted to bring that up that they're in this they're in this uh, top of the tower for so long and so many things are happening. That's very interesting. And now as I'm we're sitting here, I'm realizing it's a lot like classic who. Yeah, I, I totally see that. For the children, Madge enters the gateway and heads into the forest. Loud thumping shakes the ground until a giant walking transport stands in front of her and three armed humans emerge. To show their peaceful intentions, they place their weapons on the ground. They tell her that acid rain is about to liquefy the entire forest to create fuel. Any living thing will be destroyed. Madge pulls out her gun and demands they help her find her children. She follows them into the transport and they begin to search. Scanning using an audio connection, they can hear the doctor and children. But the acid rain is about to start and the three workers beam away, leaving Madge alone inside the walking machine. Brian, do you recognize that pistol? Is it Jax? Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's a Webley pistol. Well, at least it's it's It's, it's period appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, there's another reference here where these uh, harvesters, these workers come out, they mention where they where they are. The workers are from Androzani Major, which is a reference to the fifth doctor. And these people are from the year 5345. And this is a reference to the fifth doctor's, I think his last serial, The Caves of Androzani in 1984. Right. I love these three folks. I thought they were hysterical. I recognize the middle guy from the Edgar Wright films. Yeah. I'll, uh, you want to bring let's bring it up now uh, he's most prominently featured in hot fuzz he's the like the police sergeant behind the glass yeah. to like the check-in nobody and tells me nothing <laughs> when they he, stepped out though i thought it was larry curley and maureen no, <laughs> the way they were acting they're just there are three stooges here oh for sure but i i laughed out loud through all their scenes their armor looked really good yeah, I was surprised that they spent that much time on people that weren't going to be in the show for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the transition between the foot of the harvester stomping and then them coming out of it. Like, there's a couple shots there, but yeah, whoever they got to do the special effects for this episode, I don't know if it was a different house or like somebody bidding for more work, but they, I think they really did a good job between the harvesters and that opening uh, space battle. Um, and then even later with the tower actually mm -hmm. um, launching, like everything's pretty good. Yeah. Even when the Harvester was moving around and it was kind of wonky and staccato. It made sense because it was robotic. Mm -hmm. Anyone else think of Ripley? Or oh, yeah. <laughs> the power loader. Get away from her. <laughs> and then it's mother on mother. Now, okay, Eugene, I understand just putting in the Evrazani reference just to reference something else, but I, I, don't know, I wish I would have tied it in some other way because I looked up Caves of Androzani and that was 300 years before this happened and they had the two planets that were twins the one where the humans would be living on which was major and then Androzani minor was a desert planet which had the caves which had bats living in it it just it, opened it had, a lot of questions for me that I was like oh I shouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole I or, think of it kind of like uh, in Return of the Jedi we're going to the moon of Endor not Endor it's again Moffat because Moffat grew up with the fifth doctor so i think that's what he likes he likes to call back to things that he grew up with and so this one was there's trees oh androzani has trees instead of just barren wasteland like we saw in the episode okay. oh so they yeah, are on androzani the planet that they're on is androzani no i don't think so i, I think they were just, just saying that they're the, 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 the type of trees are androzani trees like oak 
Yeah, because the harvesters are from Androzani Major, which is not where the Caves of Androzani story takes place. So I felt that Moffat likes the Fifth Doctor, so he saw that since Androzani has two planets, Major and Minor, he could just write a line to throw back to that, that we don't see. Right. You gave a reference and it's like, wait, let me go look up. How was this before that happened? Was this after that happened? And now it has no correlation to it except using the same name. Well, well now we know what you can write for your next fanfic. <laughs> I wanted to see more of those harvesters. I, I was, I even liked the way they left though. The way that she kind of like braced herself like it was an uncomfortable experience yeah. that was coming. Uh, uh, yeah, at first I thought that the guy would want to get out of his bindings but then he was going to be teleported anyway. So I was like, right. oh, that makes sense that he didn't care. Yeah, I just right. I just love them. I wanted to see more of them, but that was it. I did like some of the lines where I'll call her Mo out of the Three Stooges. Three. <laughs> you know, she put down her gun first, respecting her as a woman, sir. Right, yeah. <laughs> and their reactions were really great. And then his saying, you're not going to pull that trigger. You're not going to kill us. There's nothing you can say that'll change my mind. And her line, I'm looking for my children. <laughs> and his eyes. Yeah, just yeah. Like, oh, and I like how they didn't know a mother didn't... looking for her children. Yeah, they didn't overplay that either. He just like was like, oh. Oh. I, I almost wanted her to quote uh, Liam Neeson, have a certain set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> but Josh, to back to your point of really liking these characters, I agree. And I think that's, you know, part of the, the problem that I have with this episode is there are a lot of good things that I like in it. It's just they're not that's really connected well. that yeah. well. Yeah. Like there's opportunity to, to say something more with that whole other story. But and I know it's a Christmas special, so you, you don't want to say, I don't know. It, it just seems like there's a lot of missed opportunities to really connect and make something, you know, that we would say is like at another level. Not that this is bad, but it's just like those mishits yeah. um, make it harder to really to, to evangelize this episode to say, oh, you got to watch yeah. it because it's great. Just those few little missteps. You know, but I, I mean, it's good. It makes me think sometimes that, you know, it's hard to see the circle while you're standing in it. And I think would you say the forest for the trees? Yes. <laughs> and I think a lot of the times with shows like this and other shows too, like you hear filmmakers and actors going, we didn't know this would be a hit. This was just another gig until until it came out. They, you know, they are not, like George Lucas says, even though, whatever. Um, I've never seen the Star Wars you've never, you've seen, I've never seen the Star Wars you've seen. Because all I see is what I didn't get to do. Um, and then we saw him when he got to them, when he wanted to. Um, but, you know, so he never was hit by this thing. So, the, you know, the makers of the show, they are not seeing it in the way that we see. It doesn't negate any of the things that we've been talking about, but it's, it's just interesting to think that where we're sitting here, like maybe really in a moment and then something totally takes us out of it. And maybe they wrote it like, oh, this is going to be great <laughs> or, or, or something or who knows, or I hope this doesn't take him out of it. But um, to name these three stooges here, Droxil is the one from the older gentleman from uh, Hot Fuzz that we mentioned. And then the woman is Billis. And then the other guy is Bangar. And I enjoyed how when they were scanning Madge, it's like, she has no weapons. She's wearing wool. Tell me you can scan for weapons. You can distinguish wool from weapons. He's like, yes, sir. Not all. But didn't you say like, so, but, that, that, but organic fabrics sometimes disrupt our, uh, our yeah. sensors? things like that. Yeah, I, I wish these guys were in it more. Well, if it, we're staying with the Christmas theme, are these the three wise men? Oh, maybe. They're not very wise. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the opposite day. 
It's opposite day on Andrazani Major. <laughs> I'm sure every Christmas they have they have all the Christmas things on the walls. Three wise men, y y you know, ornaments stars. and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. stars. Like, what are we gonna? How are we gonna bring this stuff in? Even the imagery of a young boy in a you know a wooden a, a wooden seat, seat <laughs> you know, with a crown. Yep. Jesus, I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> So are the are the wooden figures then Joseph and Mary? Uh, you, you could think like in a, in in uh, in, in you, you know Christmas yeah, decoration uh, a Christmas decoration. There are wooden figures to be Nativity painted like scene. all that. N thank you. Nativity scenes. Uh, there are wooden figures. Maybe. Yeah. Well, all the stars came to them, so they are the shepherds. Whatever fits. Could be that way. <laughs> yeah. Whatever fits. Uh, uh. <laughs> and and he kind of maybe you know he kind of moved like Frankenstein, not Frankincense, but you know, maybe. <laughs> now we're moving on. Yes, <laughs> please. <laughs> Cyril is connected to the wooden people and tells the doctor that they are scared of the rain that burns and they are trying to escape. They need to travel inside a living thing and are using the crown to place their essence into Cyril. The boy is too weak and cannot hold them all. They need someone strong. The doctor removes the crown from Cyril, but it burns his hands. The wooden queen says he is also weak. Lily grabs the crown out of his hands and discovers she can hold it without pain. She is strong, strong but young. Translation glitch, she is female. Well, that's set in a certain time period because now binary, binary, binary is not a thing. So it's like, wait a minute, whether you're male or female, that's the translation. Translation. Just looking at it now going, well, that's very different. That didn't cause any issues at the time. You could also look into um, into it even, even in this time. Like, it doesn't mean there aren't linear races. They were going for the mothership uh, idea. I think if they would have written it now, it would have been a little different where strong would have meant mother. You know, she, like she said, where are my children? It's like, she will stop at nothing. She's gone through loving another person so right. much. It wasn't Which again, it could be parent. It wasn't necessarily know. genetic. Right. Because it really did carry life. But isn't that what they did say about Lily? They said, she is strong, but she is young. Like, she's not really, you know, and then the mom shows up. Right, right, and that's what they got to at the end, is that it's the mothership. I don't know, it's just kind of, it just kind of, I don't know. It dates Probably it. just being over, just, and also just for me being just oversensitive, that like, why couldn't it just be that the women in the group were strong, stronger? Then for it to, in the end be like, oh, she's a translation glitch. It wasn't actually saying that this person is stronger than me. It's saying that she's female. Cool. You know, it's like, yay, women. No, not really. By using the term strong and weak, putting down men, which a lot of people, you know, go, well, that's feminism. You put down men. I go, that's not feminism. It's equality. And so I wish they would have chose different words for that. Yeah, I ready didn't like men. Not ready or something. Yeah. Because the doctor we know can carry life. We saw now that he, you know, he's a woman. The 13th Doctor. I'm in agreement with you, but I looked at this as the w it, because women are built to carry life literally with a womb. So that's why they were um, uh, uh, a, 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 con a an, an apt conduit. Like other men don't right. have a womb. That was the analogy or whatever. I don't know. I'm just looking at the analogy that they're giving in the show. And it ends up that they just want to use her for her uterus exactly. kind of idea. It's like exactly. nowadays yeah, it would show very different. Point. Nowadays it reads very different in today's society. So switching things to something else that 
we don't like is or i i don't like is that the doctor kind of figures it out like what's going on the translation it just seems too quick it's like i'm on board with what's going on in this episode and then at the end everything is just kind of yelled at you right and i don't like when exposition in that manner is told that way right it's kind of like we're, we're we don't have time to explain but here's something right Let's keep running. I mean, when like, he was yelling to her, like what to think of and what it means. Well, before, like what, like what we were just talking about, how um, what the words mean. The oh, str- oh, strong right, versus yeah, weak. Yeah. I'm like, uh, do you want to give us a little more? <laughs> well, I can agree with you. It's just not that uncommon in who to do that kind of quick exposition. Right. Yeah, and I think that's that's my main problem with season six. It happens a lot. Yeah, that's true. And then now it's happening at the Christmas special where I'm reminded of what I don't like about season six. Madge hears the doctor and her children speaking about her coming for them. Cyril won't leave because mommy always comes. She figures out how to operate the machine and walks it over to the tower, but tips over on the last step. Running into the tower, she goes upstairs and the wooden people place the crown upon her head. The life stars of the entire forest enter her head through the crown. The top section of the tower takes off and enters the time vortex. The queen says Madge must think of home to guide the ship. She remembers home, her husband, her children playing. The memories begin to show in front of everyone. She remembers the telegram about Reg's death. The images change to show how Reg and his plane become lost. Madge doesn't want to watch him die, but she must. A bright light shines outside of Reg's cockpit and onto his face. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. <laughs> totally. Um, the, the track that plays as Madge drives the uh, drives toward the tower and she yells, you're fired at the doctor. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. It's a, I think it's called You're Fired, actually. <laughs> it's, it's a great track. I really enjoyed that uh, moment in that. It fit with the triumph of her figuring out how to drive this alien machine because she has to do whatever she has to do to save her kids. I really like that. Yeah, that's a great moment. Yeah. Right, and it was also set up for us in the opening scene when she is driving a car. She is someone who is not afraid of technology. And she's also not afraid of like bumping into things. So this whole forest <laughs> is a whole obstacle course. Sure. <laughs> These are all light posts that she's running over. <laughs> And I did like her sense of humor when she comes into the tower and, and says, don't go outside, the rain is frightful. Yeah. <laughs> and her jacket her jacket and everything else. I, I took that as a, a reference to uh, let it snow. The weather outside is frightful. Uh, yeah. As well, as well. As well, yeah. It, took, it actually took me a minute because she didn't say those exact words. About, about a minute or two later, I was like, oh, frightful. That's why she said that. At this point, we we know that the the tree people are pretty friendly by now, right? Like, or maybe they haven't talked completely yet, but we know that they're trying to save themselves, and we yeah. know that the acid rain is the real evil of this moment. But we're not trying to stop that, you know. That's yeah. already coming. The forest is like, well, that's gone, but it's okay because we have the the star life force. So that's like at this point, there's not like the. Like I'm rooting for the doctor and the family to survive, but I'm pretty sure they're going to because nothing is actively stopping them. Yeah, because the bad threat keeps passing the buck. And well, I think story-wise, the bad guy is grief. That's the villain. But you don't know that while you're watching it. 
So yeah. they keep misleading us with these. This is this is the bad guy. Oh no, this is the bad guy. Oh no, this is the bad guy. So we're kind of left with that. And I think when I actually watched this this morning, I was in a pretty crappy mood, and and it really got to me emotionally. And Aww. I think that's why I enjoyed it so much because I kind of tapped into that. But I do remember it's just one. I know I'm a broken record, but I sat down and watched this. I'm like, oh, this one. Mm-hmm. And I ended up really enjoying it because because of that. And I remember thinking specifically how silly. I, oh, oh, that's convenient. Christmas trees that are on another planet. They look exactly like Christmas. And I just kept getting dis- <laughs> distracted by by the silliness of it. But now, because of our podcast, and I've become more of a Who fan, I kind of embrace silliness in that regard. To your point, the true bad guy was veiled with other things. And so you really weren't able to follow it. And by the time the climax of the show happens, you're, you're almost almost like boy who cried wolf into like well that's not going to hurt them because nothing else has hurt them so far everything else has been okay i guess if there was a, a, like a manifestation of that grief that you know whether that would be a character or something or if it was the acid rain i don't know but like you're right there's like that you know a good a, a better story might have connected those two threads together more closely um but yeah something yeah yeah cuz what you what you're saying Josh about the misleads or if you will I, th- I feel like they're when you have one MacGuffin, it's okay. But right. when you have several MacGuffins, just you're like just a, like, where is this going? Tipped a, a domino domino chain of MacGuffins. <laughs> like, uh, and then Alburn, what you're saying about like the grief kind of manifesting itself somewhere, that's something we're used to. So it feels as if maybe this planet had an emotional, just something Com- different, like component. emotional. Yeah. Know. Like that's what turned things wrong where the doctor thought that this was a happy place because you come into this planet with your happy thoughts expecting to have a good time. But then Madge comes in with her grief and her like secret. So then it turns things differently. Like that would have been better to like tap into. Yeah, something like that. And what um, do you guys mean by MacGuffins? MacGuffin, MacGuffin. What it's what you, when, when you, something is introduced, uh, I think I'm right, because I used to not really understand it. It's basically something that's introduced to make you think that's the bad guy, or that's the plot, or that's what's going on, and when really something else is. Yeah, and see, this episode is nothing but that, like you guys were just saying, and to me, it completely robs it of any tension. Um, you know, I, I wrote down examples where it's like, you know, Madge has Madge has all these lights, the entire forest going into her head. How do we see as a viewer Madge reacting? Oh, well, this is lovely. There's no drama. There's no conflict. There's a, isn't she a quirky character? Um, they have this mysterious thing growing on a tree that drops down and gets big and big and bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh my, what's that going to be? That guy's sitting in a chair. Then there's, then, then there's the big, we have this big walker, big scary. It's been setting sounds off on the forest. Boom, boom, boom. And it's like these three guys come out, or three people come out, and they're silly little three stooges. There's nothing scary about them whatsoever. I mean, there isn't even any tension, conflict, anger, or drama over an entire forest of intelligent trees is about to be destroyed. And that is not the focus of the episode. The doctor doesn't even mention, I need to stop them from destroying these trees. It's, oh no, the representatives of the people killing the trees are the three stooges. And then when, when, when 
and we've got nothing more for them to do, they just beam away. No more consequence, no more nothing. There's no, it's like, come on, we need we need something. I mean, they even even the, the queen mentions, this is the prophecy, the prophecy foreseed that you would come. That doesn't pay off. What prophecy? Where, where does that line of the prophecy, to me that feels like it's almost, well, for lack of a better word, a script widow. There was more to the prophecy and that all got cut out and they didn't realize that they left a line in about it. I will say, it ha everything happened so fast, I got to the end and I enjoyed it and I, I kind of stayed in the emotional through line of it, but I don't disagree with anything you're saying. This is all, this is all fluff. This is all, this is all, there's no, there's nothing really to sink your teeth into in this episode that well, I, I think, see. I think that the whole grief thing, that is, but it's got so but, much fluff on it. But, but I even that, you have something to say about the grief. Okay. Well, I, I don't want to, and I also don't want to disagree with you. I completely can't see where you're coming from. Well, I will say, which may possibly agree with you at the end, that even that turns out okay. Yes, thank you. Okay, yes. See, it's like, yeah. I'm just going to say it now. Madge's character arc. Uh, she's upset her husband dies. She's upset that she has to tell her children. And at the end, she tells her children. That's her character arc. She doesn't necessarily come to terms with it. She's still incredibly upset. She has to tell her kids who are yelling at her. So now what she had actually done made things a little worse because now the kids are pissed at her. But it's okay because dad's back. But yeah, and then all of a sudden you get your magic wish and the dad shows up and everybody's happy again. Again, to me, you guys have been talking it seems this is happening a lot lately where we get to the end of the episode and I'm very different from everybody. You get to the end of the episode, you guys are all have been talking about the emotion, which is totally there. I totally see it. And then you totally get robbed of it. Just like you do with all the other MacGuffins in the episode. It turns out to be the greatest MacGuffin. You know, you were saying that the villain is grief, but in the end, even that's not because everybody lives. I think that's because it's a Christmas episode. Well, I'm trying to think some of, a lot of the Christmas episodes are still very dark. I'd have to think back on it. Yeah, I'd have to think back, and of course my brain's not working right I, now. Donna's I think the Runaway Bride, the Titanic. Yeah, that's true. You know. Well, I, th I think it also hurts um, Madge that her emotional arc like is never really fulfilled because she doesn't actually make the choice to tell the kids. Right. They discover it through like the, the, the time vortex and seeing it. So she still never actually actively made the decision. No, I'm going to tell them right. because it's the right thing or because of any reason, um, which I agree. Like, you, you know, I look at the outline for this episode that you all put together and there's a lot of stuff that happens. I mean, there is a lot of stuff that happens. Like you said, we go from point to point to point to point. But yeah, there's not a lot of characters making those decisions to to go to the next thing. It's just like, oh, now there's a big walker. Well, they're gone and now there's this and that. Yes, yeah, so I agree that, yeah, it's just, um, there is a lot of stuff to really like in this episode, but without that, that little bit of extra connection, it's hard to take it all. Yeah. But the one thing I wanted to point out here is that uh, the time vortex that we see is the same one that's used in the fifth and sixth season, except it doesn't have the TARDIS spinning. And I thought that right. was really neat to have that in there. Yeah. Part of me liked it because it's something we're familiar with and that like there, there are other races out there or whatever you want to call it uh, that can use the time vortex. It's not just Time Lords. And part of me bo was bothered by the fact that uh, there are other races out there that can use the time vortex, not just Time Lords. Like I was I was kind of torn on that. I found it interesting and I was like, well, and that's just like a sidewalk. Why and what makes <laughs> the Time Lords special? 
Well, and also that they grew this whole spaceship out of trees. Like, you could buy the tower, you could buy the glass. Yeah, it's too many. But it's as soon many. as it launches, and now it's also a and, time machine. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. It's, it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they needed a person to hold all the life force. They couldn't figure that part out. Right. Yeah, that's right. They couldn't, they couldn't grow just, a person. You know, like fight back against the people trying to kill them. Like ants. Some, yeah, some they're, intercontinental yeah. missiles ants. take out those acid rain satellites. Yeah, well, yeah. they can build time traveling spaceships. Yeah, <laughs> build a time traveling spaceship, go back an hour and blow yeah. the ship up. That's what the ship was at the beginning of the cold open. He was yeah. blowing up the ship that were going to melt the trees in the future. <laughs> Boom, done, sealed. Maybe. It is all connected. It's a perfect bow. <laughs> writing was too clever <laughs> no i can't i can't agree with that <laughs> he does he say a line budget. to explain it where he's just like we're in the time vortex mm -hmm. right so i liked it i'm with yeah, you yeah it was fun i enjoyed it it's just, again but i love how you loved it and dislike it for the same reason yeah yeah it's that's the, that's the, how i feel about this episode is that it's just a light fluff fun with an emotional undercurrent and uh but i see that that's all it is and by it, kind of expecting that from frame one, I, I can enjoy it. Everyone blacks out. The king and queen have been emptied of their life force and the entire forest is living now as light among the stars. The ship has landed on the grounds of the estate on Christmas morning. The children are sad and upset and want to know the truth about their father's death. The doctor leaves the ship but says he will stay close. Madge begins to tell the children about the telegram, but the doctor quickly returns. He insists they come outside right now. Reg's plane has also landed on the grounds of the estate. A confused Reg appears and says that he was lost but followed a bright light. It was the light from their spaceship and the plane entered the time vortex. Reg followed Madge home. That really reminded me of, I don't know if you guys have seen Apollo 13 in a long time, but Jim Lovell tells this story about uh, his lights going down on his on yeah. his plane and he follows the phosphorescent uh, trail that was in the ocean. Yeah, and if his lights had not right. gone out, had not short-circuited, he wouldn't have been able to see it. Yeah, yeah. I think of that every time I watch this episode. <laughs> it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> but this is where, for me, it loses me because for some reason really bothers me because so many people have lost loved ones and the holidays are always difficult no matter when that person passed but for those people who have lost someone on that day near that time it brings up every year it is really emotional and to me that seemed like they have to go through this and this just negated what they go through it solved this problem in such a amazing fantastical way and just didn't deal with what they were trying to deal with in the episode her loss how to teach the kids what's going on and the reason she didn't tell them at the beginning was because she wanted to wait the holiday was over. I don't know if that would be till New Year's or what she thought of, but it's Christmas Day. She wasn't going to tell them today. You know? And that just was all robbed. That emotional feeling that you're supposed to have from this episode about what Madge is going through just went away. And that's the part that really hurts me and really just my heart goes out to all the people who've lost people on holidays, on their birthday. It's something that stays with them. And I wish they would have dealt with that rather than just this cheap trick of fixing it. See, I, I do agree with what you're saying, Frank, but for some reason, now that I'm revisiting this episode, I really tear up at the end of being reunited with a loved one. And if Reg's plane had originally perished, I would have been where you are, 
but it's kind of like what happened in The Girl Who Waited, how we're seeing this for the first time. So Regis Plain did not perish. Right, he right. found the light, so he never died. Right, he jumped time. Yeah. That's and why he was lost, because he jumped through time yeah. to Christmas Day. And so that I enjoy that he never died, because I would feel how you're feeling if he had died and then they time traveled back and changed things. For some reason, I just, that brings up the memories and the feelings for me of what I want for Christmas. So I'm glad to see somebody have that on the show I'm watching. And I didn't feel that until revisiting this episode. I agree with you, Eugene, but I think it's the way it was done just seemed flippant. Well, I, I, I mean, I'll offer a point of view that I just kind of thought of that I find actually very interesting is that if she wasn't feeling the grief she was feeling, she wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked to cast those feelings across the time vortex to actually save him. So it was the fact that she was feeling, she had to think he was dead in order to actually save his life. Creating somewhat of a, I don't know if you could even call it a paradox, but like he didn't die because she thought he was dead because he thought she died, but he didn't die because she thought she was dead. Like there's that loop there, which, I, I find very timey-wimey and interesting. And Kenny, yep, yeah. she had to and go I, through that. I do get it, and I agree with Eugene to a certain point a lot. It's like I understand it, and I see that just trying to keep the episode light, but then they went to a place that I guess just triggers with me. It's just one that hits home of how many people I know who have lost people either on their birthday or on a holiday, and how that's going to that's always think of those people, and it's all different. And there's even more of a loss than if you just lost them that year that was not near a holiday. You're definitely still going to miss the people, but it's attached more to the holiday. And so that's, I understood what Madge was saying. It just seemed like that, I was robbed from that. Yeah, I, I totally get you, because like my brothers are in the military, or one of one of them is still in the military. So when they're not home for the holidays, I totally like worry about them. So I get also where you're coming from. I mean, I'm I glad they had a happy ending. I'm glad Reg is alive, but what happened to the other two people who were in the plane? I mean, one guy almost didn't make it. I mean, what well, am I, I tell him? He's not I just assumed well. they were okay as well. I was actually more bothered by how clean his uniform was if he was on a mission <laughs> flying. No, but the guy was like, he's not going to make it. We're not, you know, what should I tell him? Who seemed like he was sick, injured, something. Yeah, they should have had the guys. I tell Anderson or whatever the name was. Yeah. And it just seemed, no, what am I doing here? Oh, yeah, everything's good. Get an ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It just, that little aspect totally disappeared. Remember, they're still yeah. lost somewhere on the island. It was a lot of like, no, no, look over here. Look over here. The whole episode was like, no, 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 look over here. Look over here. Right, right. The flashback of Reg following Madge home, I Creepy. thought was more creepy yeah. than sentimental. And yeah. so it was just kind of like, I don't know. I just like, <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the only one that thought that that was no, a creepy was, It's a different time. That was a different time. Ago. Me home. Well, I, I do like that they quickly showed him standing next to her with, that, with them both smiling very, very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Right. But, still and and, it is. and i look at it maybe i was looking at it going i mean i totally got the whole stalker creepy thing it totally makes sense but there was also a part of me going oh what a meat cute that's just so <laughs> old-fashioned and just so sweet oh man i don't want reality to get into my brain during this it's sweet oh yeah that's stalkery well the difference between stalkery and sweet is how the person interprets it how much if they like the person who's doing the action so yeah, it wasn't like, like person. I, also too, it wasn't like she wasn't aware 
of him there. Right. Right. And then and then to find out why it was in there, then, you know, makes you almost hate it even more. Because you're like, oh, you just shoehorned that in there so you could have this line later. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it just it's just funny because that that's what I thought. It's like, why is this in there? It's in there because of the end where he followed her home yet again. And it's it's funny how they keep doing that like MacGuffin MacGuffin oh that's a MacGuffin so that this MacGuffin works right. <laughs> it's just like I guess I was just reacting it extremely old-fashioned that's such a cliche way for characters to meet in the movies of the 30s 40s and yeah. 50s oh that's why I said it's of its time it's of its yeah and it's cute and it's not meant in any way to be stalkerish he's not being a stalker and it's more innocent but I didn't I mean, I was immediately going, I wish I didn't have in my brain that this was like he's a stalker. I wish I could just watch this the way they intended it, the way it would have been done in a 40s movie where everybody go, oh, and all the men in the theater go, that's how you get your woman. (laughs) (laughs) But also they made Madge a strong person. I mean, if Madge did not want you following her, you would know it. You know, Madge would make it a thing. Well, uh, but we also have like rose colored glasses on the 40s and 50s. Right. You know, now that we look back on it, like, oh, wasn't that quaint? Well, a lot of people were probably in danger and hurt because of that quaintness saying, oh, yeah, he followed her home. Of course, she should marry him. But we don't know what's actually going on in that relationship. Like the Black Dahlia. Okay. The doctor returns to the attic to leave in the TARDIS, and Madge follows him. She sees the police box and realizes he is the spaceman from three years ago. She helped him out when he had a bad day and he wanted to return the favor. She asks him to stay for Christmas, but he declines. She asks about his friends, and he tells her they think he's dead. Madge uses her mom voice and orders him to tell his friends that he is not dead so they don't spend Christmas alone. I like that Madge I uses her. Scene. I love this scene. Her mom powers. I like that a lot. But it, but anyway, it, I love this scene because it's finally leading off to a payoff. And especially the more and more I watch this episode, this for me, it's like, again, Doctor blows up on the ship. They have their little meat cute. She helps them get in the TARDIS. Can we just cut to this scene? <laughs> because all this stuff has uh, been brought up before about how the Doctor doesn't do Christmas. And this gives him good reason to. And I enjoy that Madge, not knowing all of that backstory, can see it in him that he needs to go to his friends. But she also sees that his friends need it. Yeah. Because it's like, I've just thought my husband was dead. Don't do that to them. Uh, And also being a a mother, I think she knows. And I like the doctor's response. Okay, mom. (laughs) That was a great little bit. When Reg shows up, he's wearing his, he's still wearing his RAF uniform. And it's the same thing that uh, Jack wore in the, the Doctor Dances. So I like Oh, is it really? Well, because that's an, it's a uniform, you know, like with the blue shirt and the suspenders. Yeah. And so I like that that's why Jack wears that because he's a, he was an RAF pilot. Madge handles it all well. <laughs> yeah. You know, Reg comes in and the police box is disappearing. You know, and he's like shocked a bit. And she's like, well, he's just going back into the time vortex. So I was there too. Kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think, I guess it goes to like the motherliness, just seeing like everything's okay. Everything's everything's good. And whatever is not harmful, <laughs> I'm able to accept. That's kind of how I took it. Because it, it's a vanishing police box. 
it's not acid rain. It's not creepy wooden creatures. Right. Back in London, the doctor arrives at Amy and Rory's door two Christmases after he last saw them. They knew he wasn't dead because River told them and invite him in for Christmas dinner. They always set a place for him. A happy tear rolls down the doctor's face. He is home for Christmas. I think they really missed a good moment here when they said, well, I'm not gonna hug first. Well, neither am I. I was totally waiting for Rory to come around the corner and see him and like just run into the doctor and yes. give him a big hug. I agree. Because they gotta have that uh, will they, won't they, but we know they won't <laughs> romance with the two of them. Right. Still a nice moment. And was this uh, mentioned before in another episode, how their door is TARDIS blue? Yeah. No, I think, was that in the God Complex? The same the place end. they dropped them off? Yeah. I think we did. Possibly. Yeah, I th yeah, we did. But this one, it really does, because really stands out. the angle over Amy's shoulder, the TARDIS is in the street. Yeah. And and the door is in front of the TARDIS, so you can really see it's exactly the same yeah, color. Yeah, it's also freshly painted. Yes, <laughs> it's almost like we paint we repaint the door TARDIS blue every year, every Christmas, Christmas time because up. that's yep. the best weather. I really think Matt Smith played this moment really nicely. It could have yeah, been. it's great. I I was waiting to be like mm, it's nice a sentiment, but it's too on the nose and cheesy. But I thought he did great. I like that they they have been setting a table for him for two years. That's awesome. And it reminded me of the brigadier always pouring a glass for the doctor. Right. With that, I like to think that all his companions that he has parted ways with always set a table for or something for him. But it's just I, I just like that image in my mind of like. Uh, and. I, I think in this moment, it's even sweeter because we're introduced to Amy being kind of a curmudgeon with the, the water gun for carolers, you know? So it's not like she's being shown as someone with a ton of Christmas spirit, but still like that familial connection that they have, like at Christmas time, you shouldn't be alone. Like, even if you don't like Christmas carolers, you should still have a spot ready for your friend to come over on Christmas dinner. Yeah. I also kind of like that Amy robs robs his thunder a little bit because it's like, hey, here I am. I'm not dead. And I like how she's like, River told us you weren't dead. <laughs> so we've just been sitting here going, he's not showing up. And uh, you know, I, and then the doctor's like, oh, she would. I love Amy. She's a good girl. I just love that. Yeah. I find it odd that two years, it just feels like a long time. And this is just me personally. You have a time machine, go back. Go back before two years has expired. He's not very good at landing where he needs to land. Still, it's it's just this is part of this this run that I don't like. It, things are kind of convenient, but yeah, they're but not. You don't, you don't have that moment then. Then you don't have the moment that you just talked about that you love so much. I know. I'm. I, 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 I can have both. I can be logical and emotional at the same time. Does not compute. <laughs> That is illogical. Just because you brought this up right now, Eugene, I also, I, I didn't want to, because the story already has enough weirdness to it, but the the kids, uh, three years later, like, I think would have been older looking than they, they ended up. But that doesn't matter. But yes, the timey-wimeyness of things, like, is is disconcerting for yeah. a time yeah. travel show. But timey-wimey is a lot better than what happened in this one. When yeah. Reg reunited with his family and, and the doctor's just looking at them and saying, oh, humans, you know, happy crying. Humany-woomany. Humany-woomany. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, humany like, No, 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 no. Timey-wimey is one thing. They, they don't bring that do one back, again. do they? No, they then, don't. Yeah, and then when he wiped the tear away, he did that really well. 
I liked it. But on some aspect, it brought up to me Star Trek and Spock. He's never more human. It's like, right. you don't need to insult the doctor right now. <laughs> He's not human, you know? And it just sort of brought that to my mind. Right. But he yeah. did it well. I like it. It's just that little thing crept in going, He's not human. He's Time Lord. Let him be one. <laughs> But I actually took it more as, as a Who fan, I took it more as, no, that's just you, Doctor. You're just using your re your, your species as an excuse. Yeah. Amy actually put water in the gun. <laughs> <laughs> she was actually going to shoot the carolers. <laughs> it's very cold hey. for Christmas Day in Cardiff or London or wherever they are. It's funny because they, they mentioned that the, the Matt Smith wanted a warmer coat. And this whole time he's using the tweed coat. Everything around him looks cold. <laughs> you figured he would have put that on. But then again, they probably shot it really quick because it's at a door, it's at an estate. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Also, yeah. I think they probably reached the point where they go, we don't like that coat. Yeah. You know, I hope they were smart enough like we were. That's not a good coat. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they didn't true. bring the coat that day because he wasn't wearing it the whole production. Oh, you wanted that coat? That wasn't on the list. <laughs> Claire Skinner plays Madge Arwell. She has played Beth in Sleepy Hollow. It's the mom uh, in the flashback. And then she is Sue, the mom in Outnumbered, which is uh, a great show. And it's now available on Amazon Prime for you to check out. Uh, Maurice Cole plays Cyril Arwell. And he hasn't done a lot that I recognized, or his list isn't that long either. Holly Earl plays Lily Arwell and she plays Agnes in Humans. Alexander Armstrong plays Reg Arwell. We've seen him before, sort of. He is the voice of Mr. Smith in the Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh, wow. Oh. Uh, I wanted to bring this up at Gallifrey 1, but I think it was better served for here. I think this is the best time for it. The last season of the Sarah Jane Adventures uh, if Elizabeth Sladen hadn't passed away, it would have involved Mr. Smith coming to life mm. and, you know, him walking around as a human and not knowing what things are like hunger or pain or sleep. Uh, and then it would wrap up the sky and the trickster story. So that was something uh, we didn't get because of uh, just what happened in the events of the real world. Mm. Alexander Armstrong also does the voice of the new Danger Mouse and oh. this, uh, some other um, uh, voiceover work. Sam Stockman plays his co-pilot. But Anderson? Anybody play Anderson who we never see? No, that's just a mention. There's nobody that's actually oh. Anderson. Ray Anderson never gets this too. <laughs> I guess he didn't make it to Christmas. I guess he didn't. <laughs> Bill Bailey plays Droxel and he's the, he's he the sergeant. Yeah. yeah, he came home. He's a Sergeant Turner in Hot Fuzz, the guard at the locker, like we mentioned. Oh, oh, okay. And he's the whale's voice in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the 2005 oh, movie. That's funny. Paul Baisley plays Vengar. He's the man in the woods in uh, the Shut Up and Dance episode of Black Mirror season season one. So who is he in this? He plays Vengar, the, the lanky. Larry. Oh, the taller guy? Yeah. And he plays uh, Salomon in Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Arabelle Weir plays Billis. She is the uh, woman of the Three Stooges. She's done a lot of British TV. And Arabella is also a close friend and former landlady of David Tennant. Hmm. So he was one of her tenants. Exactly. Uh, Spencer Wilding plays the Wooden King. He previously played the Minotaur in The God Complex. Hmm. Paul Casey plays the Wooden Queen. And he's done a bunch of character stuff. 
so the filming locations is in Lincolnshire, Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Center, and then East Kirby Airfield. Uh, that was used for. What about the castle, the mansion? Don't know. I don't, it's not up here. It's definitely like some real place. And there's nothing on IMDb. And it's probably at I the went, end of the credits. Don't worry about it. There's no next on, like the doctor oh, will right, yeah. hear, no no coming soon, no nothing like that, because I think... It's Christmas special, they usually don't, would they? No, sometimes they do. Right. Yeah. Because I think season seven didn't premiere until, until September 2012, where usually it's April. Oh my gosh. Next year. Uh, okay. We'll just uh, do our recommendations if nobody else oh, has That's right. Thing. We got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Who is this episode good for? Or more specifically, this episode is good for who? A new viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of the show, or a diehard? You know, I was going to say, I don't know, uh, I was going to say a new viewer, and I always say that a lot, but I think it's just some lighthearted fun, but it gives you a good taste of, um, of some, you know, emotional drama. But because it's not the best put together, I almost feel like I think I appreciated it because I'm a fan. Not, and if I watched it for the first time, I'd say, yeah, it's fun and funny, but I don't know if I need to watch it again. So I would say this is casual. I would put it in casual. I think somebody who knows a little bit of a Doctor Who is needed for some of this, you know, and I wouldn't just introduce it for new. And I think because I'm more diehardish, I don't like it because of that emotional fake out. You know, I think because I watch it so often and I see the other ones and I know more about the Hugh verse that it just that pulls me away from it because I know what it could be with other writers or other ways it's done. So I think just casual, I'd still start with some other ones that I think are better for new. So if, if I watch the other ones for new, they become a casual. <laughs> so. Um, I'm going to agree with what Josh said, but I'm going to, while I want to introduce someone who never watched Doctor Who to this episode, if it was on at Christmas and they were over, I think that they would watch it with me and enjoy it um, as much as I would be enjoying it. <laughs> so I'm going to say that it's, that this episode is good for everyone. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. It's casual. It's uh, like Frank says, knowing more Doctor Who is actually detrimental. But this one's very, um, it's very standalone. You know, there's a scene at the end, but you get it. Um, so yeah, casual. I think I'm going to say actually a fan just to set the average back to casual. Or... <laughs> But um, I, I wouldn't show this to somebody who had no experience with Doctor Who. And I never found myself as a casual viewer, like really wanting to go back to this episode. But now as a fan, like and after discussing it with all of you, I think I can appreciate it a little more for what it is, like where where it's coming in the whole like run of the show and also like just what it's trying to do as a Christmas episode in between things. So not to say that it's bad or or, or anything like that just uh yeah i think now that i'm more of a fan i think i can appreciate it more than i did as a newer casual viewer yeah i will agree i'm gonna put this in a fan because when i first watched this i didn't want to revisit it and then revisiting revisiting it for the podcast i found myself able to enjoy it and appreciate it more and just being a fan, I'm able to enjoy the emotional stuff in this episode. Yeah, despite some of the criticisms that I've been uh, bringing up, I really enjoyed this episode. Just the more times I revisited it. While the ending is rushed, the explanation of Ma 
Madge being a mom and that relating to the mothership and her in the beginning telling Reg to stop reading the newspaper or the war will come true and that affecting her later. I like these little, I guess, bookends to her story. And on this time around, I really focused on the mother's story, Madge. And I like to think that my selfish wishes as a kid didn't come true because my mom was able to wish better things for me and my brothers instead of just wishing for selfish things. I just really thought of my mom watching this and how strong she is and how strong I see her. So I'm just gonna go with me as the uh, the experimenter, the what do you call it, the control, where I watched it originally, didn't care for it, and then revisited it, and now I appreciate it. So it's a fan for me. That wraps up The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe. I wish everybody happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and happy Hanukkah, and happy New Year, and whatever holiday or deity you worship. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Who Knew Podcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who Knew Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who Knew Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time when the future becomes the present.